How's it going? It's a sunny day in Ketchikan, and uh, I went to the beach the other night. I'm going to go to the beach tonight, and it uh, looks like the forecast is for rain, rain, and more rain, so I'm going to go enjoy it. When one goes to the beach in Ketchikan, it's not like you go to the beach in Southern California. You don't no, bring no. your umbrella and a towel. No, Explain there's... the difference between sunny Muscle Beach in California and a Ketchikan beach. Well, usually it's gravel. It's a gravel beach with rocks. <laughs> There's occasionally little bits of sand here and there. If a friend's got a boat, you can go to a sandy beach, which is what we did right. the other night. Went to a sandy right. beach across the way in a boat. And uh, But uh, there might be sea lions or orcas about. There, there are, right. uh, Humpies are jumping everywhere now, so summer is with us. But you're talking at 70 degrees. I mean, it can get warmer, but it's about 70. It's, you know, a warm a day here. Day. The summer is 65-ish, right. you know, 70 right. is like, oh, really awesome. And, of right. course, the water is freezing by anyone's standards. Yeah. But So you wear your, your thermals. You wear your thermals oh. down to the beach. <laughs> I do. I actually have a wetsuit I take. But the other night, I I just had muskivies, man. I jumped in. Yeah. I've been to the beach in Ketchikan with my son, and it was almost hot. And we Almost hot. Yeah, yeah. It was almost hot, and we jumped in the water and played amongst the tide pools. And it was a lot of fun. You don't exactly linger very long. No, it's more like an adventure rather than a day at the beach yeah. with a cooler. And, it's more uh, like a dare. Jump in! Ah! <laughs> yeah, yeah but, it's true. It's true. That was wonderful. How about you, Dave? What have you been doing? Oh, I just came back from an amazing wow, uh, paleontological right. dig in eastern Montana in the Hell Creek Formation. Hell and, yes. Uh, yeah, hell yes. Yeah. Been sp spent six days in the Badlands on my knees. Uh, on one of those gardening pads, wearing which is gloves. why they call it Hell Creek. It is kind of hellacious to be there it, in the it summer. It is hellacious. It yeah, it was. Uh, we averaged ninety degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, one day was one hundred and four. But oh, over man. the over the very secret hidden dig site is a shade tarp. So that was uh, quite awesome. This was um, your first dig. My first real dig, you know, with an institution, which it was the Museum of the Rockies. Yeah. Um, Lee Hall, the lead paleontologist who we are going to be interviewing today. Well, actually, I interviewed him. You, you, you I haven't heard this at all. I'm really excited yeah, to hear yeah. it. So you hear it, and then we'll do a little uh, outro at the end of this and let me know your thoughts. But he was so much fun. We got along so well. We have so many similar interests outside really? of paleontology. Oh, space and robotics and uh, geology, even though that's part of paleontology. But... He does the most amazing impressions of any famous celebrity you can imagine. And one of them. Really? Yes, one of them is in. You'll see it's it's in the interview. It's it is hilarious, this guy. But we just got along so well. We were wow. the only adults. <laughs> what, really? Yeah. Everyone was age, uh, including my son Carson, was there. Uh, 19, 20, 21. They were all undergrads. There was uh, two, I think one grad student. And uh, a, a young woman working on her master's. Pretty much it was all young and young music so that we heard on oh, the playlist. Mm, yeah, <laughs> well, those, those youngsters keeping you hip, man. Yeah, but, well, I don't know if I can hear any more um, Norwegian cover bands of death metal. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, it teaches you tolerance, doesn't it? But It sure but, does. Well, let me ask, he's, he's married to one of our previous guests. Yes, Ashley Hall, who we interviewed, and uh, she was not on the dig, uh, so it was just us adults. But I got to tell you something: I, yeah. I have never understood the amount of work on a paleontological dig. 
we're on our knees for eight hours a day oh, with with oh, an man. awl, and you're you're moving an inch of dirt at a time, checking it for bone fragments. And once there isn't any, which there wasn't for most of the six oh, days, man. that is patience. Oh, well, it's funny. Carson, my son, found a a toe bone, and I found a processes from a vertebra, which is the 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 bones that stick out on the side yeah, of the vertebra. Yeah, yeah, right. So only a couple of extra bone fragments that whole week? Well, yes, that's it, the entire week. But we took what is about a five-foot mound by 10 feet by 10 feet, five foot high, down to ground level. That's how much material we removed in, in that time. We're using five-gallon buckets, and when you fill them up, they're about 40 pounds. So I, I really got buff over this week. Oh man, the the patients that take, a lot of kids want to be paleontologists and uh, you know, if you do field work, there's a lot of labor there and there's a Yeah, but you know what, it wasn't, it wasn't boring because we're all talking paleontology. There's many discussions going on about unpaleontological things as well. Right, I'm sure, yeah. uh, we listened to paleo nerds after lunch yeah nice so we podcast. got yeah yeah so we got to hear our podcast and uh the students and the volunteers uh they they all enjoyed it i think what was so fascinating was there you are digging through 66 million year old river stream sediment and even though it just is dirt to the next guy you realize this was laid down in a river during the time of the dinosaurs so right Every time you're digging, you're thinking, it's kind of like a slot machine in Vegas. You think, is the next piece of concretion really a bone and not just a hard rock you got to throw away? Well, so that's one of the things, too. It's basically, it's dirt, dirt. I mean, it's like clods of dirt. You're just yeah. trying to, it's hard dirt, right? Yes, but imagine a, a sandstone blocks that broke and slid maybe 10, 15 million years ago, they broke and slid into a slump. So the expectation was that the skeletal remains, and I can't really talk about it because it's a secret. Yeah. Um, Is it? Yeah, so the skeletal remains were most likely disarticulated. They assumed they were going to be articulated. So the very last day, one of the volunteers found a toe bone of this theropod, and it's the toe claw. And that was like, oh, my goodness, this is absolutely amazing. And, of course, the day after we left, I got some secret photos. They have found um, the, a really lower, cool thing. The, lower, yeah, the lower leg and a massive foot. All the foot bones are there. And this is apparently one of the largest of, of, these, of, this, those things. of, these, of these things. Yeah. <laughs> so it's going to be, yeah, it's a great find and. We got to see, see some plaster jacketing and all that. So, well, that's one of the things that I, you know, I have been on a few digs myself, and I'm happy doing drawings, and I can be meticulous and sit there for days and days and days straight on end. But I kind of start losing patience, and I, I love the hunt. I kept asking, can't you just get up and roam around and look for stuff yourself? Because it's so cool to be that person as you're walking down the gully, like, oh, what's this? This is a bone. Sure. Yeah. You know, did you get to do any the no, you know, no. scouting at I, all, I, or was, you, was it restricted? No, we, I could have. I could have said, hey, I'm going to go scout. But I kind of felt I was part of this this fantastic group, and I didn't want to, uh, because I was older, I didn't want to pull any rank, and I wanted to work just as hard as everyone else. 
The other thing was we assumed we were going to be, or I was told that we were going to be in tents with no running water and camping for a week. Turns out we were in a youth camp <laughs> with with cabins and sh- hot water and showers and a kitchen and a lodge and a barbecue. I mean, it was absolutely first class accommodations. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I helped with, uh, I bopped the floors every night and Carson and I, we helped clean up and, and do our share. I didn't want to go in there and and act all high and mighty. So it was great to be part of that hardworking crew. And these guys, you'll hear it in, in the okay. episode, they were hardworking cool. and uh, not one complaint out of anybody. And it was well, hard and it was hot. Yeah, I gotta say, it gotta be hot. I'm, I'm just, another thing I'm just curious about, you were in this youth camp, so there's other campers there. No, no, no. no. This you was, had the place no, to yourself? We had, we had we, okay. yeah, behind a locked gate. Well, I'm really excited to hear this uh, interview, and uh, I will, yeah. uh, I'll check it out, and uh, I'll report back to you. Lee Hall is the field and lab manager of the Museum of the Rockies. We had so much fun, and uh, let's listen to my interview where we sat outside oh, overlooking yeah, is... the Hell Creek formation as we did this interview as the sun was setting and the moon was coming up. Oh, man. Take us there, Dave. Take yeah. us there. No phone call here. So you ready to be on Paleo Nerd? I am so, <laughs> so stoked to be on Paleo Nerds. I've been waiting for this moment. Well, we've been playing episodes. Yeah. Yeah, but crew. I mean, ever since Ashley was on. Oh, right. You know? That's right. We had Ashley really Hall. Yeah. Her, Your yeah. wife. Mm-hmm. Your wife. Yeah. So I am here with uh, what I now consider a good friend. We've really gotten along, haven't we? Yeah. We've had some yeah. great discussions under the stars. <laughs> it's been actually really nice. It's been good. Having another adult to talk with. Right, because your volunteers are mostly kids. The students, yeah. Yeah, so this gentleman who I'm sitting across from on the most amazing... Well, we'll describe where we are in a second because mm-hmm. it's absolutely amazing. Uh, we're out in the field on a dig. He's the paleontology lab and field manager for the world-famous Museum of the Rockies in Bozeman, Montana, the world's largest repository of T-Rexes and Triceratops. Lee Hall, paleontologist. Well, hi, Dave. <laughs> We've had some good good uh, discussions, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, it's been a, it's been a week. It's yeah. been a great week. Yeah, so are you a paleo nerd? Big time. And and uh, I think you have to be to, to put yourself through this kind of physical torture oh it's been physical torture this week (laughs) it has yeah it's you know you have to push yourself but i have loved dinosaurs since i was a little kid well where did it start how old were you what was the first thing you remember i have very early memories of going to the smithsonian and i was born in in dc at walter reed hospital my dad was in the army and so um i remember going there i don't remember much about it but i know that I went to the gift shop and and grandma got me, you know, a dinosaur toy and and I had posters and stuff. But really what I think helped light the flame was going to bookstores as a kid and going to use bookstores mostly because my parents were trying to get through college with three boys and getting dinosaur books, old dinosaur books. Really? Your first dinosaur books? So this is like from the very earliest, earliest memories. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So my mom says that the first dinosaur book I ever got was The Little Golden Book of Dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. Which has the T-Rex squaring off against the big green brontosaurus or something on the cover. Right, right. So I still have a copy of that somewhere. Your original copy. Not the original one, but, but still, I, I for found nostalgic one. reasons, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so did you like go to school and, and lean toward that all your life? I mean, did you study science and biology and in high school and 
And uh, how, how did that come about? How did you end up in uh, a more professional yeah. mode? I was uh, I was big into into dinosaurs and and not much else as far as academics. So in primary school, uh, elementary school, middle school, I was the dinosaur kid. If we had a report to do, I did a report on dinosaurs. If there was an art assignment, I would draw dinosaurs. And obviously, when I was I was nine years old, when there was this like a little independent film, right? Jurassic Park. Oh, really? I think, uh, maybe you okay, heard so of you that. Okay, so <laughs> you were nine when Jurassic Park came out. Yes. Do you remember what, what year was that? The 90s, 93. Right? right. 93. Wow. And I was living in this small town in southeastern South Dakota where we didn't have a McDonald's. There wasn't much there. There was a little college, but when I wanted dinosaur stuff, I had to go to Sioux Falls, which was the closest city. Sure. And suddenly Jurassic Park comes out. And there are dinosaur magazines in the grocery stores, and right. there are dinosaur things and dinosaur that, and t and so it was great. It was great. It was everywhere, and I continued my love of of dinosaurs up through high school, and ended up stumbling into an amazing opportunity that is the reason that I am sitting with you where we are today. In the Hell Creek Formation. And we're in the Hell Creek Formation. We're literally formation. looking out over the Hell Creek Formation on this uh, observation deck yep. in eastern Montana. Yep. I mean, beautiful. we're talking Badlands with the strata and the banded formations. That's out. right. And we can we can see the KPG boundary from where we're sitting. From right where now, we're sitting right which now, is, it's, which is a pretty cool place to talk is. about paleo nerd stuff. <laughs> I know it's absolutely yeah. amazing. Yeah, you're not enjoying this at all, are you? No, he's no. not. He has not enjoyed himself at well, all. I've been gentlemen. here for a week. This is the the night before I, I depart to, pretty yeah. much tomorrow night. Yeah. So I've been on a paleontological dig with the Museum of the Rockies, mm -hmm. and uh, we have been moving tons of earth and hiking in. What would you say? About a mile through, I up, guess, through hill and dale, through yeah, rills through and valleys, yeah, and dry river beds, and, and it's yep. hot, and mm -hmm. we all have our our water containers. But it's an amazing crew. We've, we've had so much fun, yes. but it's yes, also it such hard work. I never knew Lee it was such hard work. It is extremely, extremely physically tasking to excavate. I'm feeling bustle. I'm feeling. You should. Well, you're looking rather strapping, what do you young think? man. What do you think, Ar Arnold? What do you see? <laughs> Arnold? <laughs> I think you've done pretty well for yourself in this first week. You're no longer a shrimpy little man boy. You are buff. <laughs> oh, look at the size of your biceps. <laughs> Folks, he does the best impression all week. You've been doing everybody from Captain Kirk to whatever. Anyway, let's get back to... Um, right. right. Okay, so this amazing opportunity uh, just dropped in your lap. And what was yeah. that? So I was 15 years old, and I think it was in the spring of, of that year. It was, this would be 1999. And in, in, there was a little university in my town that had uh, a lecture series and... Uh, one of these lectures was being given by a guy named Jack Horner. The Jack Horner. The Jack Horner. Who is, as everyone, well, most of the listeners know, he is the paleontologist that the character Dr. Alan Grant in the Jurassic Park yeah. Oh, yeah. franchise was mm -hmm. modeled after. And mm -hmm. we've had him on Paleo Nerds. Yeah. 
yeah. yeah. And and so at the time, you know, I had a copy of his his book, Digging Dinosaurs. Oh right. That my I think my grandfather had bought it from a bookstore for me. So you you just living and breathing dinosaurs. Absolutely. And the greatest paleontologist is going to speak in a month or yeah, so. Yeah. But I didn't really quite understand the significance. Of, of that right. at the time, my dad said, well, you're going to go. And I thought, yeah, I guess so. And he said, you had better go. And so I pulled out the book and I started reading and and I just fell into this world. It's a it's an excellent it's a, such a good book because the the journey read you it. go I didn't on. I know he wrote he wrote that, that book. Digging Dinosaurs. Yeah, no, I haven't read it. Oh, it's fantastic because it is really a lot about how, you know, he sort of thinks through um uh, these these different problems or hypotheses, and so it's all about the discovery of the Mysore nesting grounds. And oh, right, it's a cool story. It's a lot about field work in there too, which I found exciting. But there was one section where he talked about the horns of Triceratops and their frills, and maybe being used for sexual display. And when I went to the, I I got on my bike with my book in my arm, and I right. and I biked the six blocks to the college, and I got into this auditorium, and then I was one of the first people there. I was very excited. Right at the front. Then he comes walking on stage and does a little how to do to the four or five people there, right? And then he sees this little what, nerd. That's it? There's like just a handful of well, people? Well, I was like 40 minutes early because oh, right. I wanted to make sure I got a good seat. <laughs> and uh, it wasn't a big auditorium, but I was there. And then he sees this little nerd sitting with his book. And, and so he, he was really nice to me and said, you know, basically, you know, you're like, what are your favorite dinosaurs? But I will admit this. I had, I had recently read um, one of Robert Bacher's books called Raptor Red, right, which right. is that novel about Utah yeah. raptors. And Jack leans over and he says, well, what's your favorite dinosaur book? And I said, Raptor Red by Robert Bacher. <laughs> and he the goes, wrong answer. <laughs> he looks at me and he goes, oh, well, you know, that's fiction, right? <laughs> and I said, yeah. And I had this feeling like maybe that wasn't the right answer. <laughs> But, yeah, you know, I mean, it was fine. You shortened it off. By the way, you do an impression. That's a really good impression of Jack Horner. Well, you know, I think he's a very distinctive speaking style. But yeah. um, the uh, the lecture was very, very fascinating. And at one point, he stopped and asked me, like, well, what do you think Triceratops used their horns wait, for? Wait, wait, he stopped the lecture. And... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was he was talking about sexual display and dinosaurs. And that's what he was getting to. But he... We had talked about that. But sexual beforehand. display. We mean by coloring and and that type yeah, of thing. Yeah. What, what did they do with all right. the horns and frills and fancy bony what crests was their, and stuff? Right. Their purpose. Yeah. So he said, "Well, what do you what do you think they use them for?" And I said, "Sexual display." Right. This little pipsqueak. The audience <laughs> is silent. And I'm sexual display. <laughs> that's right. That's right. We think you know. Well, and, so and he, he, went he said, on. "That's yeah. right." Yeah. And then afterwards, I waited to get my book signed because I just was... Which I one, Raptor Red? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I quickly forgot about Raptor Red. <laughs> and so the crowd cleared out and I got him to sign my book. And he said, how old are you? And I said, I'm 15. And he said, well, when you're 16, you can email me and you can come out on the dig. No way. That's what I thought. From the Jack Horner. Jack Horner. Oh my God! This, here's this this scientist. It's like getting invited to work career. on the Manhattan Project by Oppenheimer. <laughs> yeah, for paleontology, absolutely. I mean, here's this person who has been on a lecture tour. He's got all these responsibilities, and he stopped to give this 15 year old kid who is in this little farm town some. Right. You know, he, he threw me a bone basically, uh, and gave me the opportunity. 
Was it so, was it a Cretaceous bone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it turns out some big ones. Yeah. So the next year, my mom drove me out to Fort Peck Reservoir, Hell Creek State Park. And where's that? And it's in. So uh, we drove from uh, Nebraska at that time to Montana, eastern Montana. Fort Peck Lake is a gigantic, you know, lake in eastern Montana. And the Hell Creek Formation is exposed all around this lake. And so that's where is it a the, natural lake or is it it's, a, it's dammed. So the largest right. hydraulically filled earthen dam in the world is the Fort Peck dam really there mm -hmm. you mean in, in acreage of, of water so the the size of the dam structure really it's bigger than hoover so our, our hoover friend? is not a hydraulically filled earthen oh, dam oh, oh that, so yeah, it's oh. basically this four mile long berm they built it's a levee basically yeah it's it's gigantic it's huge wow. but but the lake that it created has i forget the figure but it's more coastline than the state of california or something sure. there's a lot of ins and outs yeah. you know with all the yeah. topography oh, right so we show up and my mom drops me off for three weeks and I'm this 16 year old kid and I'm surrounded by grad students. The Hell Creek Project has just kicked off. There are 40 people in this camp. There are scientists from, now from just, Europe. Let's just go back. The, the Hell Creek Project yeah. was, I believe George Lucas said to, uh, George Lucas of Star Wars fame said to Jack, I'll give you a million dollars. You can do whatever you want. So right? yeah, there was funding from George Lucas at oh, one point. Oh, NSF? And I, I don't know the specifics, but right. early on, early on, I think there was also funding from Jack's work with Universal, you know, for the for the Jurassic films, because right. I think he would when he would do these appearances or, or consulting, he would use that to get funding for his field work. So but didn't the non paleontological world in Hollywood secretly want to really find DNA in a dinosaur so well, who, they could make a film wouldn't? out of it? Who wouldn't? Right. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I guess what paleontologists wouldn't want yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what they're basically the Hell Creek Project was to try to find that DNA, right? Well, the Hell Creek Project had a very broad, it had broad strokes in oh. its goals because it brought in scientists, paleontologists who specialized in invertebrates and mammals and plants. It brought in stratigraphers and geologists and dinosaur paleontologists and essentially said, we're going to go and look at the Hell Creek Formation and we're going to take a thorough sample of the geology, of the different aspects of biology, of, of life forms, plants, everything, animals, everything. everything. Because, you know, that really hadn't been done before. The Hell Creek is famous for producing dinosaurs, and the it had been sampled for 100 years. You know, that's where all the T-Rexes and Triceratops come from, you know, from, from rocks right. of those age in that part of the country. So the Hell Creek Project had many, many goals. And, and, you know, the idea was to really hone in the understanding and dial in the focus on what actually was out there, what was happening. What was the full ecosystem? Extremely ambitious project. Right. And, and it was wonderful because in all of this work, they were like, okay, let's, let's bring in this high school kid from nowhere, South Dakota. That is just know? so cool. And, uh, well, and what'd you think? Nowhere, what was your first day? What was your first day? So we got in very late. It was a 14 hour drive. And I remember when we got to the town of Jordan in Montana, which is the town you have to go through to, to get to the lake. It was dark. And so this is already August. So, so we got in probably like 10 or 11 and we still had to drive an hour on this washboard gravel road <laughs> 30 or 40 miles in the middle of nowhere. My mom was exhausted. I was tired. And 
we couldn't see anything. And when you get onto this road, the closer you get to the park, the less shoulder there is. And, <laughs> and when you're within five miles, there are drop-offs of hundreds of feet. Really? And so my mom had the windows down to kind of keep her awake and alert with the air going. But then the shoulder dropped away and it was just black and there was nothing out there. And the wind started whipping up. And I just remember her slyly pushing the window button to roll it up. And she said, the wind is freaking me out. (laughs) (laughs) So we got into, we didn't know where anyone was. There were no lights at the state park. So we just sort of pulled in somewhere and we slept in the car under the stars. And I remember leaning the seat back and thinking, well, sleeping in the car is weird. And, you know, looking up at the stars and just seeing the dust of the Milky Way and just being absolutely blown away by that. But we woke up in the morning when we heard a, a door slam. And out of this truck camper comes this Marlboro man wearing these <laughs> short tan shorts. I don't know if you can even buy shorts like this anymore. And a white T-shirt. Right. And, and he's just like leather tan skin, you know, uh, stone cold expression, sunglasses on. Just walked right by us. Uh, and my mom was awake and looked over and saw him. And she said, son, he looks like a hard man. You, <laughs> you better work very hard. Oh, and that was Bob Harmon, right? Who, who, who is? was my predecessor? Who? He was the former chief preparator and you know field manager oh, for the Museum, Museum of the Rock Rockies. Rockies. Yeah, so you know he was essentially you know Jack's right hand man, so to speak, the person right. who handled all the field crews and all the field work. Right. And uh, yeah, the first day basically, uh, I remember Jack being like, "Hey, welcome, welcome." You know, he's like, "Are you fit?" <laughs> and I was like, I guess so. He's like, all right, well, go get your stuff and you can go with us out to the sites. So the first site I went out to, we loaded into this big red Ford truck with a crane winch thing on the back. We still have it at the MOR right. called Big Red. And so I'm sitting in the middle and there's all these strangers and it smells, the smell of sunscreen, certain sure. sunscreens still take me back to that moment, not knowing where I'm going on these weird roads, you know, and uh, we hike out for a half hour to a site at the end of a ridge line in this big canyon. It's called Getaway Coulee. <laughs> and there was a Triceratops they called the Getaway Trike, which is, I think, on display at MR now. But that was my first day. And so I was so excited to get in and I was ready to find fossils and dig fossils. And they said, well, you dig over here because we have to dig around and look. And I thought, oh, they're just putting me in, in a hole because I'm a kid. Right. You know, they don't they right. don't really want me to find any this isn't fair. Don't they know I'm excited to be here? Right. And and that was my first wake up call to what field work is really like sure. compared to all the books and things. And so later that week, the skull was actually, you know, they pulled this tarp back and I'm expecting like a dinosaur skull laid out. Right. At the site. But it had already had a big plaster jacket put over it. So it's just giant white lump. It looks right. like a white boulder. Sure. But we flipped it later that week. And when, when we flipped it over, right on the bottom of that, there was this beautiful horn just sitting there. And that was the first time I saw a real dinosaur fossil. Was it the on field. the side then? or The skull was kind of smushed. Oh, and right. For some, whatever reason, the horn was kind of under under it on one side. Right. So. But I just How big and long was this horn? Like three feet. It right. was huge. It was huge. And it, we flipped it over, and there was a horn, and one guy goes, huh, horn. And, <laughs> and I just looked at that, and right. it was completely... I was like, my God, wow. the the darkness of the mudstone, the rich brown color of the horn, all those little blood vessel canals. I mean, it was hard not to be hooked at that point.
So if the horn has blood vessel canals, does that mean it had a sheath? Yeah. <gasps> really? Yeah. Was it like uh, like an ivory type thing, like an elephant, or no? It's keratin. Oh, okay. So fingernail. fingernail, bird beak, claws, hair, that kind of thing. And so if you look at the beak of a bird or a, like a macaw, sure. if you take the Do they the find off, the keratin, or is that Not ever? yet. Not yet. Oh, you've never, never found, found the trike? actual... No, no impressions of keratin that I'm aware of. There have been skin patches and things, but... How do you know that they aren't just gnarly, looks like blood vessel... Well, it's comparative. It's yeah, it's comparative anatomy. So you look at their, really? you look at living dinosaurs, you look at birds, you see very similar impressions in beaks of of some where you have that. So what it look like uh, is is a bullhorn keratin like those? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. That's a bit, yeah. So, so it would look like a bullhorn. There would like be like a giant longhorn. Yeah, steer. yeah. And so you, anytime you see a triceratops skull and you see that horn. You just imagine adding another uh, like thirty percent or something. Right. When you put that wow, keratin sheath over. I never knew over. that. But because of that, that's why we think that they would have been very colorful. Because keratin oh. in birds today has all kinds of colors. Sure. I mean, uh, obviously, think of a cassowary crest or right. a toucan beak. Birds are extremely expressive and, and right. do with their feathers and things what dinosaurs probably did with their skulls. And there are and many crests. different types of, of cattle horn that are mottled and... Yeah, yeah, but mammals aren't aren't quite as fancy. They don't, they don't, you know, mammals. Oh, we, sorry, we, I forgot. We're I forgot we're yeah. in the reptile yeah, world. Yeah, <laughs> let's rein it back in there, Strassman. Yeah. Now. <laughs> oh my God! You just missed a shooting star. It had a tail and everything. Yeah, I saw plenty of those last night. I'm kidding. Last night, were. we were standing under the stars, and we, it was amazing. I mean, the Milky Way was out, and we were mm -hmm. looking at. We were just talking. Just talking about space and time and Star Trek, of you, course. You taught me about space dust. Yeah, space dust. Yeah, the way we can't see the Milky Way is obscured by mm -hmm. just so much space dust that uh, it's not as bright as I would love it to be. But um, every time <laughs> I'd be looking in one direction, you go, oh, there's, there it is. Oh, it had a tail. But like, there was. I, I know. But there was. I just kept missing them. Yeah, well, tough luck. You revealed something to me, which I didn't uh, know, and it's, it's pretty awesome, but uh, that you have ADHD. And like Jack Horner, who is a self-admitted dyslexic, and he talked about it at length on our episode with him, mm -hmm. his view of the world is shaped by visual cues and not through reading literature. So he's able to expand his theories on ecology and, 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 and all types of potential uh, organism behavior in, in the organisms and behavior in the dinosaurs. Um, how has your ADHD helped your interpretation of fossils? And maybe we'll just go back and how did you discover you you had it? What was the cure? And do you think it's helped your interpretation as a paleontologist? So I I didn't get diagnosed until I was almost thirty, and the effect that it had on late me, bloomer. I was a late bloomer, big time. And which is something my mom always said, like, oh, you know, people are late bloomers. And in school, I just wasn't a good student because I couldn't, you know, I couldn't remain focused on things. And, and it was very difficult for me to keep track of what I was thinking about. You know, there's there's different types of ADHD. There's, you know, people typically think it's all oh, wild kids that run around and can't stop fidgeting. But, um, you know, so I had the inattentive type where... Primarily, you have uh, issues with filtering out stimuli. You just can't control what you pay attention to. Right. You you may want to focus on what you're reading, but 
you hear every little noise. You feel every little pressure point that your body's experiencing. You feel the fabric oh. on your skin co constantly. That it, sucks. It's very yeah. You just you just have a very difficult time with pulling you know your your focus in. And so I was a very poor student. You know, I mean, I I had the the conferences. He's a smart kid. He right. just needs to try, he try harder. harder. He just yeah. needs to try. Needs to focus. Needs to get his work done. And he doesn't in. apply himself. I, I I could get if I had a nickel for every time I heard that. Me too. Yeah. Me too. And, and so you know. It gave me a complex where I felt like I wasn't, I was always behind the other kids or I, you know, it kind of makes you feel like other people just know they're onto something before you are, know more than right. you about things, which would, I guess, be an inferiority complex. But by the time I got to college, you know, I, I learned how to skim through things and pay attention to other people's reactions to see how maybe I should react to things. Mm. So... What you end up doing is if, you know, you can't read through this section of the book, you know, you pay attention, you listen to what other people are saying about it around you. And that gives you the impression of, okay, well, this is maybe how I should be thinking about it. Now, admittedly, that I don't mean that that's a good coping strategy for, for dealing with it. was the it. only tool you had. It was, yeah, it was, it was a survival tool, basically. Right. And, and so... Um, when I, you know, I went to school, I got, I got into college and, and, um, I, I started at a community college and did okay and went to a college in South Dakota for a couple of years and, and finally transferred over to Montana State University. And, um, you know, I'll just tell you right now that I, my GPA was all right. It was like 2.8 when I graduated. You me know, too. It, I think I was 2.6. Really? Yeah. You uh, beat me. Ha <laughs> ha. All right. Yeah. Finally, you finally feel good about it. Yeah. <laughs> But the problem was that in, in school, I was working to support myself and I just couldn't manage the balance of working to survive versus studying. And so when you take these classes that would say, read this chapter by Wednesday, you know, well, I got to work and I got all this other stuff going on. And then you couldn't focus while trying to no, read it. Because yeah. you're constantly reminded of the de looming deadline and, and that built up anxiety basically right. spirals around in your head and keeps keeps you from you know, staying on, on task. So, so, so what was the turning point? Well, after I graduated, it took me seven years to finish college. And it's important for me to say that because I know there are other people out there listening who might be struggling. And, and I had to take calculus four times Oh my God. because I kept failing. I, I had to literally go back home for half a year and take calculus at a community college. And my whole life revolved around passing that class. And I finally passed calculus and calculus too, and and then I could go back to Montana and finish the rest of my degree, barely. Thankfully, I've never taken calculus. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. I don't think. Well, I don't know how that would incorporate with your profession. <laughs> Playing you know, dolls, unless you have really specific audience of math. <laughs> well, I do, well, I do robotics, and, and robotics is electrical engineering, so mm -hmm. there is a bit of math with that. Yeah. But um, how, now, how did you find out? How did you get diagnosed? And what was the uh, so solution, you know, I'd had, uh, I had, um, there was an initial period in college where I'd, I'd gone and I'd seen a, uh, a doctor because I was sort of becoming aware of, of, um, what ADHD was. And I was, I felt like there was something about the way my brain worked that wasn't quite, quite on. 
And I had an initial diagnosis when I was in school and they said, oh yeah, this is, I did the questionnaire thing and talked to, you know, the psychiatrist and, and did all this stuff. And they said, oh yeah. So then they, they got me on medication and suddenly I was like doing great. I was in physics and I said, this is fascinating. I could pay attention. Wow. You know, it, it basically those, those reuptake inhibitors in your neurochemistry, they, they suddenly, and for the first time I was able to sit there and just focus. pay attention and focus and just the the feeling of elation i mean the, the you 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 know when you take these these basically these amphetamine salts or whatever like ritalin and whatnot like um you you end up feeling sort of like this it's a bit of like a rising tide when suddenly you're like oh i don't feel tired all the time from everything coming in all at once things sort of fade in the background and then there's a lecture happening and you're like, oh, I'm following it. A, B, C, D, E. No problem. And it was great. That's amazing. I started doing better. And, and um, yeah, after a while, there was some, some stuff that happened and I kind of got off the medication thought, well, maybe I was just because, you know, maybe I was just not trying hard enough and maybe I don't need the medicine because there were some issues. with. Oh, really? This. So you did the experiment without it? Yeah. And you yeah. Went right well, back? I went to the school for help and they said you didn't have the right kind of tests for us to give you the ADD help that we right. have so you need to go spend a thousand bucks on this and i said i don't have a hundred dollars for a test right. and so i thought maybe i was cheating the system and this medicine i was cheating and so well i better stop taking this and then went back to having crap grades right. and graduated what and yeah yeah well, how, wait how long did you have this clarity oh uh maybe half for a semester right. maybe two and I thought, no, I, I should be able to do it without That's medicine. Terrible. It's a crutch. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, it was awful, man. and it and it really stalled my progress. And right. So, um, I wasn't very good in discussion classes because when I would, you know, I tried to read the papers, but it was really right. difficult for me to connect things right. together. And so, um, is this an ongoing medication that you yeah. have to take? Oh, every day. Right. Yeah. Fantastic. So I went back. You know, I I went back to a doctor after I started working professionally. In, in mitigation paleontology and I was like I need something because now I just I now I know that I'm older and and I've got to get help right. and and so since then it's been good. so if, if a listener is experiencing this what, what would you tell them where where do they get the help from and how do they identify it so that you they don't have to do uh, eight seven years of college yeah you know you really just go talk to a health professional, right? You know, and and that's that's where it helps. I I did a lot of research and I did a lot of reading. You know, I read medical articles and, um, you know, there are certain professionals out there who specialize in it. And when I would read about this and listen to them talk about the way the brains work and the symptoms, all these light bulbs started going on. Right. And I said, oh my God, this is this is eerily spot on. Sure. And and so I would say, please go and talk to somebody. You know, you can do some research, but be careful online because there's there's a lot of crap out there. Yeah. And, oh, really? Oh, there's just so much. You yeah. mean the internet isn't a hundred percent true? Well, I hate to tell you this, <laughs> but there's a lot of bogus bogus crap. Oh yeah. Don't don't we know? Don't we know? Mm -hmm. Well, hey, congratulations on uh, solving that. And uh, uh, well, I'm enjoying your company and your focus when you talk to me. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it's you know, you know, uh, uh, you develop skills after you get diagnosed and and you can stay on target and um yeah. who doesn't like talking about themselves though that's right <laughs>Let's talk a little bit about where we're at. I met you at the Museum of the Rockies because we interviewed Ashley and, mm -hmm. and 
I took my son Carson on this trip to go visit Bozeman and, and just check it. I was during the pandemic and uh, we we hit it off and I said, I'd love to go on a dig. And so uh, here, Carson and I, uh, this is day seven, six, I think, I don't know, whatever. Uh, you got it yeah. on Saturday? Yeah, yeah I got so it on a Saturday and it's yeah. Thursday night. So mm -hmm. um, it has been amazing. It has been amazing. You have a crew of uh, 13. Oh, yeah, so all together, I think we're 14 or 15, unless we lost someone in a sinkhole today. Um, yeah, it's possible. <laughs> uh, but yeah. describe, describe the, we're in Badlands. Describe what kind mm -hmm. of terrain that is and uh, what it takes to get to this site uh, every day. So we are currently in the Hell Creek Formation. Looking and, out over it, yep. I must say. And it's it's always so amazing to just watch the day light change around Badlands. We are working in uh, an area, it's state park, it's Montana's largest state park called Makoshika. And so uh, we have several sites out here that we're working on. And we have a not a bad commute. The park is 20 square miles. So we don't have to drive for an hour and a half like right. some sites, but we hike about a mile, you know, so we drive the trucks. It's pretty typical. You're used to, you're used to parking trucks and not being able to drive right up to a site. That's sure. That's pretty rare. So we have to pack all our lunches. And, yeah. In the and, morning we have breakfast yep. and we pack our, our lunches, sack mm -hmm. lunches, sack lunches. And, and we get all our water for the day. Three liters water, of water per person per day. Minimum. Cause we've had 90 degree and hundred degree days since we've been here. Mm-hmm. And and then we yeah we we hike and it's about twenty minutes of hiking which isn't too bad it's a good wake up you know and and uh, gets the blood pumping. But and... you rise in about five hundred feet of elevation, don't you think? Maybe is it? I, I you know I, <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know. It's just I don't know. It's but it's hot, you know it's through these desert washes, the then up these uh, slopes, and then yeah. up and around and down and then up and you finally get to this what it looks like an island in the middle of a very steep canyon draw mm -hmm. with outcrops and hoodoos and sandstone and blocks and and uh all that gray silts is it siltstone right siltstone and mudstone and yeah yeah all that old river sediment yeah and so there's a specimen which we can't talk about because it's secret well yeah i mean we don't want to it's it's just well it's the the professional yeah. thing to do yeah. but yeah we're working on a dinosaur yeah but what we've been doing is we've been clearing away these buckets so what do these buckets hold um, five gallon buckets five gallon buckets mm -hmm. of dirt which probably weigh about twenty five pounds when you fill them up maybe well I mean some of them probably more to forty because right. it's with sediment it's sandstone right. And it's damp sometimes, so. But but what is amazing, I never knew this. You always see it in the movie, in the movies or in a documentary. The paleontologist takes his little fine tools and his little brush, and he opens up something, and there is the skull. Well, that's not what we're doing. <laughs> we are literally going. I wish it was. Yeah, we're going through every single inch with a little awl, and you're moving it up, looking for for dinosaur bone. And then you clear it away with a whisk broom mm -hmm. into a metal scoop, like mm -hmm. a feed scoop, like you, like you uh, fill up your you know, when you're shopping for grain or, mm -hmm. or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, and then you stick it in your bucket, and mm -hmm. it takes about I don't know 20, 20 scoops to fill up your bucket, and then you pick it up and walk to the edge, and you dump that. And I'm probably I think Carson and I counted we did maybe twenty five buckets or more a day each. Yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot. 
to, of rock to move. And and throughout I've, the day, they get heavier, and it feels heavier and heavier. And it's hotter and hotter. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And every time that seems that bucket fills up faster, every time you do it, you're like, I, how's, yeah. someone's filling my bucket. Someone's being <laughs> sneaky. Yeah. But it is literally, I, I think the first couple of days, it was eight hours of just moving earth mm -hmm. with no fossils. Yeah. But, you know, I have to say that the, being with the crew and the potential possibility of finding something. I mean, Carson found a, what we think is a, what, a toe bone or metatarsal. Yeah, uh, yeah, phalange. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And I think I found a bit of a... Uh, a caudal vertebra. Which is, what is the a caudal? Bone. It's, oh, a bit of a tail, tail bone. Tail right. vertebra, yeah. Right. And so, you know, it's exciting, but it's not like finding a T-Rex skull or a giant seven-inch tooth. It's, it's, it's the... It's the wonderful, painstaking, inch-by-inch inch work for a potential amazing discovery. Yeah, it, it is. And, you know, if you don't learn to appreciate geology, then it's a lot, it's a lot more uh, difficult, I think, to enjoy yeah. the work because well, you I'm, are... We're sifting through a riverbank exactly. that was laid down 66 million years ago. You're dissecting a fossilized environment. Yeah. And and so there are always interesting things to look at in the sediment. Yeah. Uh, but it's very true that... Like that Timex watch we found, it was still ticking. That was the crazy <laughs> thing. You know, the fact that it was mechanical, it should have unwound its spring. But... Yeah. It was a Flintstone watch. But, uh... <laughs> now, um, so we're working with uh, a bunch of kids, really, for, compared to you and I. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so they're all ages. Uh, well, I think Carson's is the second young, second to youngest. Yeah, they're all between nineteen and twenty seven. Right, and where do they all come from? Well, most of them are students from Montana State University. We have we have one from North Carolina, but from you know kind of a sister institution or a sister lab, and they before that come from all walks of life. They come from. Carolina, the Carolinas, or, you know, some of them have family from Saudi Arabia or Bulgaria, uh, you know, or, or Montana. And they pretty too. much answer an ad, right? To, to be a yeah. volunteer. I send out a an free ad. volunteer. Well, yeah, that's well free for us, you know, <laughs> but they donate their time. Right. And, and, right. and energy, but we provide all the food and, you know, the lodging yeah. and whatnot. Well, so, I got to just say this crew, and I've never been on a dig before, so they don't complain. Nope. And uh, you say we need this done and we need that done, and there's four hands go up to get the job done, and it's hot, mm -hmm. and we're thirsty, and uh, it's they're talking dinosaurs, and they talk cladistics, and they talk about the paper they just read. I they are over my head as far as being uh, you know in tune and on top of the latest research papers that are coming out. I mean, they, I think my they, head, too. They, they're discussing stuff. papers that got, oh, did you see that got released last week? I mean, that's how, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I have to say, as a hobbyist, I love model airplanes. I'm the same way. I read the latest model airplane magazines and which engine works greater, better. And and so uh, I, I get the enthusiasm. But uh, these kids are smart. They are extremely intelligent. And all of them have their own unique ways of thinking and looking at things and i really appreciate that and and the the positive energy they have is is what makes this possible because you know at a certain point as much as i love what i do work work is work and if it's 100 100 degrees outside you know i'm thinking of logistical issues how many days do we have left how long will it take to do x thing 
how many you know how many pounds of plaster do we have how much water are we going to need i'm always trying to make sure that emergency supplies right you got to have water up there anyway just yeah. for emergency water yep and where's where's our satellite phone is you know I'm, I'm always monitoring looking some you know this person's a little quiet how are they doing i'm always checking to see how people are because the heat sneaks up on people and especially if it's your first week out in the field and it's 90 degrees but what's been such a tremendous joy for me this year has been to see the growth of these crews because we're now in our third camp for the summer and every single camp the students oh, wait all, you've had them before. i've had some some of them have been with me for now seven weeks oh this oh, okay. is the seventh week right uh, a few of them are new but most of them have been around this is a this is at least there and you in two different other locations yes Oh, okay, yep. doing digging up other other stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, that's a nice thing about when you have your museum in Montana, you just drive around. <laughs> you drive across the street, and yep. there's a T Rex sticking yep. out of it. It's yeah. everything's you know within six six or seven hours tops. Wow! But all of these camps have been fantastic because the students pull together, and it is such a cool thing to watch that bond grow in the friendships form of all right. of these young minds who are on their first you know paleontology dig their first dinosaur dig working hard they they bust their asses yeah. every day and yeah. it just blows my mind how hard they work and yeah. nobody complains yeah i feel like I complain. <laughs> I feel like I complained when I was their age. Well, you're the boss. You're allowed to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's go to the dig and meet everybody as we sat underneath the tarp just after lunch, deep in the Hell Creek formation in 95-degree heat. Let's have a listen. So, Lee, we're here at the dig. We're actually on site where we've been excavating cubic meters of, of dirt yep. for the last week. That's and, right. Uh, so where are we? Tell me where we are and what are we doing here? We are currently in the Hell Creek Formation in eastern Montana. You don't have to sound so official. Really? <laughs> <laughs> By the way, we're here with the crew. Oh, yeah. 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 There's uh, 56 of us. <laughs> now, well, how, they've how many moved as much as 56 people yes. might have. Yeah, yes. yeah. Uh, we have, uh, I think we're 14 strong today, right. which is kind of a lot for a crew, but uh, it's allowed us to move a lot of rock. Yeah, so right now we're in a big sandstone channel. So this is an ancient riverbed that a dinosaur, a dead dinosaur washed up in and was deposited. And we've been sort of chasing around the rocks for it for the last two weeks. And we finally have everything sort of worked out. We know where the bones are, the bones that were preserved. The crew has done a great job of digging around and making a big trench around where the bones are. So this what once was a hill is now very much an anti-hill in that sense. Yeah, and, and we're seeing uh, kind of like an island of bits where you've carved around the rock and you're starting to plaster jacket mm -hmm. some of these bones for transport out of here. Yeah, so the, the goal is to get everything covered, get all the bones covered in a protective shell of plaster and burlap, and then we have to haul them down the hill and out of here. So our, our work is far from over, but once things get under the plaster, we don't have to worry so much about things getting damaged and things are secured. So that's the whole reason we're out here. So once the plaster's on, you really feel like you've got your momentum on and, and the end is drawing near. 
Cool. Now you have a, uh, a paid volunteer. We have a student field assistant this summer. Uh, this is Jeremiah Robinson, who is a master's student. So I could actually, why don't you, Jeremiah? Yeah, hello. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm Jeremiah Robinson. I'm a master's student at MSU under David Barricchio. Um, who is? Oh, he is a paleontologist who studies troodontids, amongst many other things, and uh, is, of course, the advisor at Montana State University for paleontology. Cool. Yeah. What's and, your, uh, what's your, what do you, what do you want to be if you grow up? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was thinking firefighter, but then I came out here. <laughs> no, I've, uh, I've always wanted to do paleontology since I was a little kid and especially researching on theropods, which is actually what we happen to be digging up here. So this is kind of a dream come true. Awesome. Well, I've got to say that, uh, I have never met a bunch of people who have worked so hard without complaint, eight hours a day, moving massive amounts of soil and earth and digging it out with your bare hands. And you guys are just awesome. What an awesome crew. I mean, mm -hmm. it's... Yeah, it is, they really are. It's amazing. So uh, how much are they paying you, <laughs> Lee? <laughs> in, in dividends or respect or, or butt kissing. <laughs> it's a lot either way. Yeah. And just one last, could you just detail the Cretaceous environment, what we're sitting on? What was it like 66 million years ago? What was the ecology? Yeah, it was very different than the modern badlands. Eastern Montana is semi-arid. There's cactus, there's yucca, there's dry riverbeds. Back in the Cretaceous, 66 million years ago, this would have looked a lot more like parts of Louisiana or the Amazon River Basin. Lush vegetation, subtropical. Uh, crocodiles, lots of different species of, of warm weather loving reptiles. There would have been uh, a broad, shallow coastal plain, so an area of the land uh, along the coast, inland from the shoreline, that was relatively flat lying and just full of all kinds of vegetation, cycads, and, and things. And amongst all of these forests where you would not have had fields of grass, but you would have had metasequoia trees and ferns and fern fields and things. That is where these dinosaurs lived and, and died and, and lived their lives. So we, we are looking at sort of a fossilized environment that is preserved now in the crumbling and eroding badlands of eastern Montana. You know, it's, it's absolutely amazing. We were in steep, dry gulch canyons mm -hmm. when this was once a, a lush uh, River is it a meandering river or? A... Well, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> so, so depending on the land, the slope of the land surface, the morphology of our river will change. And I believe it's as you get uh, lower slope angles, you get more meandering rivers. And so, uh, I think that's I think that's right. But these would have been some broad, some gigantic river channels. There are there are beds of sandstone that are, you know, many tens of meters thick in some places. So these were huge, massive bodies of water moving and chugging all the sediment from the uh, western United States and the uplifting Rocky Mountains out into the Cretaceous interior seaway. Right. All right. So we just finished lunch. Tell us, tell the crew, what, what's, uh, what, what do we have to do for the rest of the afternoon? Well, the rest of the afternoon is going to involve working around a couple of our bone blocks. We're trying to divide the blocks up into more manageable sizes. 
Right now we've got one area that's about four feet across. And if we can manage to separate that into two smaller areas, it'll make carrying it out of here a lot easier because we have to hand carry all the specimens out. This is not a place where we can drive a vehicle up to and you know, a helicopter is $25,000 for an afternoon. It's not cheap. <laughs> and so this, if this was something like a giant a triceratops skull or, 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 you know, a huge thing that you can't obviously break into many pieces, that would be a different story. But we, we do a lot with teamwork and heavy lifting. Right. So tell the crew right now, what are we going to do? So tell them, how do we get up and go? Get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> All right, team, let's go. So, Lee, there's a possible chance of rain tonight, so we've had to dug this channel to kind of, in yeah. case water gets under the tarp that covers the specimen here. Yeah, we had to dig a big moat. So just like a sandcastle, you dig a moat and the water goes in around there and hopefully it leaves your sandcastle in one piece. High and dry. So right here, uh, do you want us to actually continue this moat on that side there? Well, what we're doing, so the, the moat itself is actually just the result of us digging... The quarry floor down and then expanding out from the area where the bones are just to verify that we don't have any other bones laying low that we may not have encountered so right. we will keep digging and looking until the last possible moment while we're out here and the goal today is to keep expanding that quarry floor and keep dropping it down the added benefit is the more of that we do the safer the specimens we have will be from water standing and, and soaking into their blocks Got it. It's it's time to get messy. We got a plaster. All right, let's go. Chop chop. <laughs> okay, so I need my bucket and my awl. Grab your buckets, grab your awls. Dig into those dirty walls. <laughs> so that was my experience at the dig site in eastern Montana. It was an amazing, amazing week long excavation with fantastic crew, my son Carson, and of course paleontologist Lee Hall, and I hope to do it again next year. And if so, I will record next year live from somewhere in the Hell Creek Formation in eastern Montana in sediment that was laid down 66 million years ago. So let's get back to our interview with Lee Hall. Now, what's the selection process? How many applied and how did you end up with the 12 or 13? We sent out a bunch of flyers around campus to different departments, evolutionary biology, geology. There's a student group at Montana State called the Dead Lizard Society. Right. It's a paleontology club. It's where a club. They, uh, like once a month, I think they, they all read a paper or two and then they get together and discuss it. Sometimes visiting researchers will join them to talk about their research. So you send out to them as well. And... You just wait for the replies to roll in. And so you, for this summer, how many did you get? Well, uh, quite a few. Uh, I only had to turn away, you know, a couple. Oh, you and, mean you only got 15 or 16? Well, no. We have 15 or 16 it's not 300, now, but, but I, had, I had probably close to 30. Right. Because there are people who were out earlier this summer who are not out now. Right. So there was a pretty good response, and... Being post COVID and uh, and and whatnot, I think I think there's a little bit of a slow uptick. But that was just local Montana students. We opened it up for field work after COVID to Montana State students. That was the priority right. this summer. You're if local. We, it's local. Your local. Yeah. yeah, students come first. If we open it up 
to a broader audience, then oh you, sure, then it's a big yeah. And I, you're going to get that little geeky kid from the small town. I don't waste your Lee, time on them. Name Lee, <laughs> oh, who has a, who has the wrong book. <laughs> <laughs> I really like Raptor Red by Robert Bakker. <laughs> it's so cool. It's about Utah Raptor. Um, you've met? Have you met Bakker? In passing, right. not not really, you know, not much time formally. Never talking. had a beer with him. No, you know, so neither have I. No, but he was he was a great interview. He was a great. It was interview. it was a lot of fun. You're one thing that I've never been, and that is a great leader. I really am oh, incredibly you. impressed on how you give everyone their own personal attention, but when you need to speak to the group as a whole, everyone stops and listens. Uh, you're not condescending. Uh, you are funny. We feel like you're one of us. I mean, I, I'm a volunteer on this dig, so mm -hmm. I feel like a subordinate. And But you don't make us feel that way. So what's your secret to being a good leader? Well, my mentor, Bob Harmon, was the best example, I think, of, 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 uh, of leadership, you know, because he was, without a doubt, the, the, the boss. Nobody questioned that. And Bob, uh, who retired a few years ago, was always respectful towards anybody. And it's hard not to notice notice that. And everybody seemed to just revere revere him because he, and, you know, at the time when I was younger, I thought, wow, Bob's so cool. You know, he's just really nice to me and I like him a lot. But, you know, eventually you sort of figure out what's going on. And the fact was that Bob respected everybody. Bob made sure that everyone was okay. He genuinely cares about people and he did not treat anyone differently. It wouldn't matter if we had a VIP visiting from from Universal Hollywood, Studios, yeah, yeah. Or it was just some some person who came up the road and and was hanging out for a few days. Bob was good to to everybody and and he told me, you know, and he would tell me things about running a crew because Eventually, when I got into college um, and I worked for the MOR in my in my college years during the summer, he would, you know, teach me stuff and, and I'd start to run my own crews and he'd tell me things like, you know, good food is just as important as good tools. And a lot of times I just sit there and listen. He didn't talk a lot, mm -hmm. but when he said something, it was worth hearing. So so Bob was the reason I try to emulate that kind of. So he was respect. a very, very good leader. He was a great yeah. leader and you, and you learned from that. And he didn't just order people to do stuff he was always if he needed something done he would always just go do it himself and so sometimes you'd have to run in and help him and say no i got that wow problem. i get you know so i try to not be lazy and i try to jump in and, and do things uh and because there's no work that's beneath anybody at, at any time that's true so i mean i have i have cleaned the outhouses and and toilets and you know i mean it's if you want other people to do it, you should be willing to do it yourself. And so sometimes I don't do it because I have many, many different things to worry sure. about. Awesome. Well, you're you're a great leader and it shows. Oh, thank you. When we're hanging out, we laughing all the time, but in this interview is we're so serious. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to focus, you know? <laughs> I don't know. That's what happens. You get your professional yeah. cap on. Yeah, you got your professional hat. Which is a very funny. What is that hat you're wearing? It looks like a one of those uh, Irish. Uh, what do you call them? Irish fedora. What is it? Oh, 
Oh, you see the clover on the side here. It's from me mom. Me mom. All right, so if you could go back in time, what excellent epoch, what pervasive period? Uh, I'm, this, is, this is usually Ray's question. Mm -hmm. Hi, Ray. Uh, yeah. Hey, Ray. <laughs> Hope you feel better. I'm just making this up as yeah. I go along. If you could go back in time, uh, what period or age or eon or epoch or place where would you like to go? When would you like to go? And what would you like to see? There, there are very many, many. I know, choices, I know, right? I it's know, of course. It's but you got to kind of pick, pick the the sweet spot. Yeah, you I know. I mean, really, if you could just stand there and see life back then, when hands down, without a doubt, what I would want to do is, is, I mean, I've been working in the Hell Creek Formation for twenty two years now, and. I would love to be able to just walk around in the Hell Creek environment right? and, and, and really just go all over the place and see what's happening down by the ocean, go upland, see what's in the mountains, see what's happening in deserts. And just, just see what exactly we have been seeing and how little the window is or how, how much information we have versus what we don't even know from, you right. know, this place you just want to do t-rex tipping <laughs> well <laughs> which which do you think they sleep standing up and you can tip one over no i think i think they <laughs> they slept on the ground like a big bird oh yeah but yeah. but you know maybe maybe a tricycle i would probably try to tip a duck bill or something sure no they probably duck bill they probably sleep like a bird as well hmm. why do like, what do cows one. are they the only ones that sleep standing the, up the cows locking their legs i don't, I don't know I just read that there are some sparrows that can stay aloft for up to 10 months in the air, and they actually come down to terra firma to lay eggs and, and uh, nest. Just like T-Rex. Oh, they, they fly? <laughs> yeah. Have what you do you figured those, out? Those giant arms are for, huh? Oh, the giant arms. <laughs> no, it would be really cool to, to especially... Is that for saying, help me, help me, help me. swimming? <laughs> <laughs> it was for making awesome high fives. All right. High, high twos. All right, so you would like to be where we are right this very moment. I mean, yeah. it's Snap funny because fingers. when you say the Hell Creek Formation or the Cretaceous, somehow I don't picture where we where we are right now as that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's a, it's a place in my mind like a dream. Mm -hmm. Yet we are here. We can see the bands yeah. that was once the the level of the ground that rain came down on and dinosaurs walked and across. Forests and, were there and rivers flowed. Yeah, and, and, and there were no grasses. Mm -hmm. I would love to see that. And exactly. It is almost like that dreamlike idea. Yeah. And everyone's idea or, or place in that environment is a little different in their head. But, but that would just be phenomenal to see. Well, the prize of being on the show is you get it. You win a trip. You win a trip to the Cretaceous. I can't wait. Do I just walk off the steps here? Yeah, you walk right off, yep. and you'll be in forever dreamland. Ray always does the time travel question, and then I always do the serious question. So mine is today, based on on having a pretty awesome week with you, Lee. Is what do you think is the best advice you can give to students of paleontology? What what do you think is the most important tool or skill they need to know to be successful in this field? Work hard. It's true that it is challenging to land a career in paleontology. However, there are many different paths to have a career in paleontology. It used to be just 
uh, researcher positions or curatorial positions, but no one operates in a vacuum and paleontologists uh, are needed to work in collections and to run labs and to run field programs and to work with the park service and the government and to rescue whales from downtown Los Angeles and mitigation. Yeah. yeah. So if you, you want mean whale skeletons, well, I bet that's got people probably thought actual, <laughs> Are you jumping on the back of the whale that swam up the L.A. River? There's another humpback at Six and Bixel, dang it. And just to confirm, mitigation is when uh, a construction site hits a woolly mammoth tusk or whatever. Something, or yeah, basically. Tusk. Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. And then you've got to figure out how, how it transfers from public to the museum cu curation. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot more in, into it, too. But basically, it's that's it in a nutshell. But So, so the point, work hard beyond studying, though, but work hard in how? Be persistent. You're going to have a lot of failures, and that's okay because when you fail, you learn. Yeah. But if you if you try to ignore the fact that you failed, or if you try to bottle that away, you don't face it. Then then you haven't learned anything, and you have to fail to to grow as a person. And so in paleontology, you you know you have to work hard. You have to be willing to fail and learn from it. And and failure is a wonderful teacher. So. That's, you know, that's the big thing. Just keep pushing forward because you'll, you'll get there. You just have to do it one step at a time. And I'll tell you, I have probably worked the hardest this week. <laughs> I mean, physical hard work that I have in a long, long time. So, mm -hmm. and, but I, I tell you, it is fun work. It really is. Even though it's hard, it is fun. And it's the crew and, and your leadership that makes it that. So well, thank you. It's when you have good people, you know, everybody is is suffering under the heat together. But really, we're all out here sharing in this really wonderful passion. And we're just really lucky to be able to do it in the first place. So, yeah. yeah. So under the big sky of Montana, uh, this is Dave saying uh, thank you, Lee Hall, for uh, an excellent interview and a fantastic week, dude. Thank you. Thank you for all those hundreds of buckets you have slung <laughs> that I didn't have to. <laughs> well, what do you think? Uh, all by myself, you weren't there, Ray, and I missed you. Uh, I really did. I missed your, your sensibility. I missed your questions. Ah, uh, you did really good, Dave. Sounds like you guys really bonded. He sounds like a really fun guy. But what an amazing story. I mean, he literally was right there with the Jack Horner Hell Creek project. I mean, in the mix of it. But the fact that he he as a kid, his mom drove him to that place uh to yeah. see Jack Horner yeah. speak and he had the wrong book. <laughs> I know that the 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 juvenile gaffe, but uh, who hasn't done that? But but I think that yeah. just really shows you that uh you know people like Jack Horner or people like you and our you and I you know, when we have just a moment with a young person and uh, just a few encouraging words can really make a huge difference. Yeah. And I think uh, those kind words that uh, Jack shared and just said, hey, you know, when you're 16, email me. That was very cool, you know? Yeah. So and then, uh, yeah, so Lee's dream has come true. And there he is, uh, despite his uh, handicap that he shared with uh, yeah. Jack Horner. So. You never know by talking to him. I guess, I don't know if that's something that is uh, evident when you talk to someone. I don't think so. No. ADHD. No. No. It's more of a personal struggle in um, focusing and reading and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, it was a great story. And it really, uh, I, you, you guys kind of painted a picture there, the Hell Creek. Yeah. How can one of our listeners sign up 
to go out on a dig like that, how would you contact uh, your local museum or if they wanted to actually... Yeah, contact your local museum. Most of the volunteers that went on this dig um, are pretty much part of the Montana State University system. And so there's, um, and they're part of a, a club. I think it's called Dead Lizards Club. So they're already entrenched, you know, in paleontology and, and have their fingers um, in these... Uh, in the paleo pie. They have the op- there you yeah, go. they have their yeah, they have their figures in the paleo pie. <laughs> so um but I mean if you're in any place where there are fossils, contact your local museum. That contact your local museum. There are programs and summer programs and volunteer programs for just about anything you'd like to do in the science realm. And if you want to make a longer commitment by joining a dig, you know, they always can use help, but of course it's got to be controlled. And it sounds like it was kind of brutal out there, you know, in many ways. Not really. We all had three liters of water per day. We took our time. We were under a tarp. We took an hour for lunch. Um, I started an institution of making sure there was ice cold watermelon always waiting for us at the truck when we got to our vehicles. So, I think hopefully that will continue on. And that is a lifesaver eating that stuff. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What's coming up? Aren't there some interesting topics on the horizon? You know, I found a plankton person that I'm kind of okay. excited oh, about. Oh, dude, we got to do plankton. Plankton is oil. Plankton is petroleum. Yeah, well, plankton. this is a modern-day plankton person. Is that okay? Because you know, Yeah, well, plankton, it, doesn't plankton control our, our oxygen and atmosphere? And yeah, you know, and it's everything around... the basis around, of the food chain. Right, and everything around today once was something before, right? So it all goes... Everything yeah. goes back to deep time. Yeah, that's so, right. Even you, Dave. That's right. Even though you act like you were born yesterday. <laughs> so. Thanks, Ray. Well, man, uh, yeah, it's inspiring, Dave. Good on you, mate, for, uh, you know, helping helping out there. And you and your son going out. That's a great father-son thing, you know. So, yeah, yeah. what a great trip. We'll do it again. All right. This is Dave signing off from Ojai, where it's 100 degrees. Mm, well, That's right. Yeah, it's a balmy 70 degrees here. And people are coming over for cheeseburgers at the Trolls tonight, so. Well, From Catch Can Alaska over and out, Mr. Troll saying adios. Adios. Thanks for being a paleo nerd. Help us spread the word of science. Rate us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can even email your questions and comments to nerds at paleonerds.com. Did you know each episode is paired with pictures and links? Check out paleonerds.com for photographic evidence that everyone here has been a paleo nerd for a long, long time.